Welcome to Respond to Resilience, along with my co-host, Dr. Stacey Raymond. I'm David Dashinger. On this episode, we'll be speaking with Dina Pacwa, Reiki master teacher and practitioner of contemporary shamanism about Reiki, shamanic healing, and other alternative healing modalities for first responders, and with Akila Barr, who's a shamanic practitioner and Reiki master. We invite you to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Responder Resilience, and our Facebook page, Respond to Wellness, Inc. We're also on bbsradio.com, Apple Podcasts, and our website with past episodes is respondertv.com. And we'd like to welcome our guests, Dina and Akila, to the show. We have a very interesting uh, number of topics to talk about. Um, and here's a little bit about our two guests. Dina Pacwa is a teacher and practitioner of contemporary shamanism, cross-cultural energy medicine, and holistic mind-body wellness, who served the community for over 20 years. She's a licensed massage therapist, Reiki master teacher, and an adjunct professor in the Department of Health Promotion Studies at Western Connecticut State University, otherwise known as WestCon, in Danbury, Connecticut. Dina offers private sessions, classes, and training programs for those looking to transform overwhelm, trauma, and stress through spiritual and natural healing methods that complement conventional Western medicine. Later in the show, we'll be talking about how first responders can get their first Reiki session with Dina free. Welcome to Respond to Resilience, Dina. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here with both of you. Our other specialist expert today is Akila Barr. She's a yoga of 12-step recovery leader and Imani Breakthrough Project facilitator. She's a passionate yoga instructor, shamanic practitioner, and Reiki master. She motivates individuals to discover their authentic and healthiest selves, incorporating her knowledge of the conventional and unconventional healing modalities. Akila's practice is in Bloomfield, Connecticut, and later in the show, we'll be talking about how first responders can get their first Reiki session with Akila free. So let's um, let's start our questions and get into this interesting number of topics. Okay, Dina. Uh, the first question I have for you is: What events in your life influence your interest in healing? I was a senior in college, and I found out that I had cancer. I had malignant melanoma. Mm-hmm. And when I was twenty-one, you know, that's not something you're expecting to find out about. You mm-hmm. think you're indestructible at that age. But thanks to Western medicine, I was cured. Mm-hmm. But it you know, being an anxious kid, and I had anxiety, and I still have it, you know, something I navigate through all the time. And then when I turned 30, I was in a near fatal car accident. And that was like the really big catalyst. Because up until that point, I was in the corporate world, but I knew somewhere inside me, that I was really called to a path of service. And I just kept Mm -hmm. ignoring that because of, you know, the paycheck, and the paid benefits. And, you know, I liked being in charge of my own department and I liked being creative, but it just, it, I knew that that's not where I was supposed to be. And I just wasn't pulling myself out of that world, I guess, fast enough. And the accident really just, it, I mean, it stopped me in my tracks. Literally, I was hit head on at 85 miles an hour impact mm-hmm. speed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The whole front end of the car came in. I shattered both my femurs, broke my rib cage. You know, my chest hit the steering wheel. I had really bad whiplash. And uh, I collapsed both lungs and lacerated my liver. And I was on a a back road, and I knew it was going to take, you know, a a good amount of time for the first responders and the firemen and everything to to get to me. Mm -hmm. So I was sitting there, and I couldn't breathe, which you 
typically can't when you collapse both your lungs. And I felt like I was given a choice. Like, did I want to die? I could have just closed my eyes and gone. It would have been so easy. Hmm. So I said, that's it. All right, God, you have to help me because I can't do this by myself. As soon as I said that prayer or, you know, whatever that was, that intention, Mm -hmm. something happened and I was able to breathe, which is pretty miraculous given my whole uh, rib cage was broken and both my lungs were collapsed. Mm -hmm. So I was able to breathe enough for, you know, obviously for the firemen to get to me, the first responders, and they were fantastic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's really what started me off. And I spent two weeks in the hospital, a week in ICU. I was on a ventilator, many, many hours of surgery, putting my body back together. And I just had really miraculous healing, even Mm -hmm. from that point. And there was a very strong spiritual component there, both my own prayers and plus, you know, many, many people praying for me. I could feel those presences. Hmm. And that was it. Like there was no, I went back to work because I just wanted to get my life back, but there was no way I could stay in the corporate world. And that just really pushed me in the direction of, okay, well, what is my life's purpose? What am I here to do? I know I'm here to help other people. You know, what can I teach them from what I've learned about healing? And that just, you know, was what really just initiated the process. And then I decided to go to massage therapy school because that helped me so much having the pain relief and feeling better in my body again, Mm -hmm. uh, releasing some of the trauma. And then from there I studied Reiki and became a a Reiki teacher. And then about a year after that, I started meeting indigenous medicine people, shamanic type healers, and, you know, that was 18 years ago. And so I've been studying and learning ever since. And now I teach and share what I've learned to the best of my ability. So that's my story. <laughs> what a story. <laughs> it was like it took a near-death experience. It sort of is like a wake-up call to switch professions. Yeah, yeah, I guess I wasn't listening to the other more subtle signs. And, you know, that's what it took. So Akila, um, we'd like to hear from you about um, what events in your life influenced uh, your interest in healing. I started investigating ways to almost, in a sense, heal myself. Um, I was suffering with a a lot of anxiety, um, lots of depression. I don't even think I knew that I had anxiety at the time, but I was very um, aware of having a lot of depression and just an overall sense of suffering. And I, you know, didn't really like the medication or anything that was being prescribed. So I just found a way to kind of wean myself off and start kind of going on a a search of self-discovery. I started going to the the public library here in Manchester and, and I started taking out many DVDs and many different, um, CDs, which offered meditations, also offering yoga. Yeah, I started to really gravitate towards the meditations. Um, they really allowed me to feel a sense of like ease and soothing. And I also created like a daily practice for myself. 
Hang on, Bodhi. 32 years of emotion. This job isn't a joke, and it can hurt you. How does yoga or meditation help with that? Coming to terms with who you are. You know, nobody calls us because they're having a good day. It's really the suicide that becomes a huge issue. People are more trustworthy with the dog. Sleep deprivation helps them either be better or worse. Completely secretive when we started this. So it's pretty much taboo. Take care of the people next to you. First responders really be open about what they're struggling with. If we know that, let's raise awareness. Brings you together to talk about it. And it tells you you're not alone. You touched on a couple of things, Dina, in your story. Um, one was about meditation, and you spoke about the healing journey, that there was uh, a spiritual component to it. So what role can meditation or did meditation play in your experience with the healing journey? So what I can share is, you know, from my own experience and also what I've shared with some of my students and clients is, you know, in our busy Western culture, we tend to get stuck in that beta brainwave state. You know, we get stuck in the monkey mind, the monkey chatter, the anxious thoughts, right? Um, you know, we might have seven or eight things that went well during the day. But what happens when we go to bed? We latch onto that one thing that somebody said that upset us or, you know, a comment somebody made. And it's like we just get on this this trail, right? This rumination or the hamster wheel of stressful thoughts. So to me, meditation helps us to, you know, we can take a step back. I mean, there's so many different types of meditation. So it's, it depends on what type we're talking about. But just in general, it gives us a way to step back from those worried and anxious thoughts. It gives us a way to observe that we ourselves are not those thoughts and those worries. And eventually, with practice, we can kind of quiet those worries down and maybe visualize or focus on either like a word of empowerment, like resilience or strength, or maybe just envisioning ourselves in a peaceful place in nature. And it's restorative, you know, and it also helps break that pattern of stress and worry. Thanks, Dina. And Akila, what role does meditation play in the healing process? So the practice of meditation Definitely want to say you're feeling your breath coming into the body, feeling the earth, you're feeling grounded, and you're just um, being in the present moment. And also you can incorporate, you know, affirmations. And so I know me, myself, when I'm like really anxious, I'm like just perseverating, thinking about the future and planning and what's next and what do I have to do? But meditation, uh, I would say, is something that just makes us feel whole and not a diagnosis or not a anxious person, but you kind of start to remember who you really are and not just in your mind or body, but also as a spiritual being. Dina, before I ask you to talk about um, Reiki and shamanic healing, which you had mentioned earlier in your own healing journey, why are these concepts so difficult to uh, define and talk about? Well, I think in general, it's because they are not yet, even though it's, you know, they've become more popular in, I'd say, the last 10 years, mm -hmm. they are not part of our conventional approach to living and also 
conventional medicine, right? Mm-hmm. So Re- Reiki is really more of an Eastern, it is an Eastern practice that was brought here in the 1930s. So mm-hmm. if we grew up in Asian countries and Eastern countries, we would have more of a language. So Reiki is connected with working with our life force energy and with spiritual life force energy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Shamanic healing deals with a more spiritual aspect of healing, but it's very specific what it actually is. It involves going into the spirit world to work with helping spirits to facilitate the spiritual cause of someone's illness. Hmm. So I know from my own experience, like when I've been in the hospital, the spiritual part is usually the last resort, right? Last rites. It's usually the last thing that we look for or think about in terms of healing, where in traditional cultures, indigenous cultures, and certainly shamanistic cultures, that's really the foundation. The foundation is spiritual. So it's really kind of flipped in our Mm -hmm. culture Mm -hmm. for most people in general. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why it's, it's difficult for folks to, to think about what does this mean? And how is this going to help me in my everyday life? It's, it can seem very esoteric and, you know, like we would say, like woo-woo. It seems like really out there. Mm-hmm. But it's really the foundation of healing that all of our ancestors worked with. So it's really part of all of our our DNA. It's in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, Keela, could you answer the same question? I'll repeat it for you. Um, before we, we define Reiki and shamanic healing, why are these concepts so difficult to talk about and to define? Because they are intangible, um, non-physical. Um, they're also allowing us to define them, almost draw some, in the, some of the meaning and the substance out of them, I would say. So sometimes it just makes it very hard for me to put the words to what the experience of Reiki or the meditation. These ancient practices from these indigenous cultures that have been practiced for hundreds of years and they they work. Um, that's why we're they're still around and it's it's just a beautiful thing how you know we're learning these practices. They're still here um, from our ancestors. And we, in this modern day society, can you know put our uh, twist into them and our um, allow our gifts to really embody the practices as well. So, Dina, and I'll ask the same question to Akila. I'm going to put on my first responder hat, and I'm a person who likes to deal in tangibles, likes to know what I'm getting into, uh, what's happening, what's going to happen, what the results and the benefits are. So with that perspective, what is Reiki? What's what's it about? What do you do as a Reiki practitioner? What is the person who's getting the uh, Reiki session? What's happening with them and their body? Can you, uh, can you speak to that? Well, Reiki is a system of stress reduction and really a relaxation technique that originated in Japan. Okay. And it involves very gentle touch, or it can be done, you know, without touching, you know, as well. We can look at it the same way as uh, praying for people, you know, our loved ones and friends that are in the hospital and sending them good energy. You know, studies have been done that have shown that folks that had uh, 
people supporting them and praying for them did better, right, than those that yeah. have right. it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's just a very relaxing experience mostly. And also we can't ignore the fact that if we're doing this in person and there's physical touch involved, just the comforting touch also can be very relaxing to the recipient and help them get out of their own fight or flight response, help them access their own inner healing mechanisms and able to deal with their own trauma and stress in a very, very gentle way. There are really no contraindications for Reiki other than somebody being not interested and they don't want to do it, which is just fine. But it, it's wonderful because it doesn't matter if someone someone's taking medication, if they've had an injury. This is a very gentle process that can be very relaxing for people, including first responders, of course. <laughs> Thanks, Dina. And Akila, um, in your practice, from your experience, how will you explain what Reiki is? So Reiki is a Japanese form of stress reduction as well as uh, relaxation that is energy-based and um, a person, you know, it was, it's a little different than massage. You might um, go into a Reiki setting, you know, you might lay down on something that looks like a, a, a massage table. It might be on a floor. You might be on your side or on your back body, on your belly, however you feel comfortable. It's a really relaxing uh, practice where the practitioner like myself, you know, would definitely ask permission if you want to just have my hands hovering over your body or they can be placed on the the body of the client. And what's happening is um, I'm just using my physical body as a a portal or in a sense, a um, channel for, for um, source energy from above to kind of come down through my guide into your body. So it's a very passive um, practice and it's just um, all about compassion and love. And it's just very healing, very soothing. So the person that is receiving the Reiki would be fully clothed. Um, they can even have their shoes on. Um, there would be gentle music playing, just like as if they were going into a, you know, a massage and the lighting might be a little bit more dimmer. The practitioner might even use things like crystals to kind of help to facilitate the energy to flow to certain areas. But it's just allowing the body to come to homeostasis and to balance. What's your goal or your intention when you're doing Reiki? Um, so my goal or my intention when I'm doing Reiki is to facilitate the, the, the most healing, uh, to, to allow the person to come to the most healing state of being that they they can at that at that moment so to just allow them to come back into their true state of being of health and healing and i also um you know i i also ask the person that i'm working with you know what their intentions are and i kind of just meet that person where they are i might you know i don't try to like um push my own um will onto that person um, I might pick certain things up because I, I am very empath- empathic in a sense. 
like I just have a sense of knowing, but usually um, with the Reiki, it's very passive. I don't have to think it has a, its own universal intelligence. It knows where to go. So even if I have my hands, you know, on a particular area on that person, it might be going to somewhere else. Um, the person on the table might say, you know, I might have my hand on their side and they're like, oh my gosh, I feel that, you know, elsewhere. So it, it depends on the Reiki itself. It kind of does what it needs to do. It's a very uh, simple practice in a sense where it just, it has its own intelligence and it really does its, does its job. In addition to like a really active mind that's, that's maybe can't stop thinking, is there also like a physical component to it where there's an emotional, um, something going on in the body that Reiki will, uh, will address? Yeah. How do you, how do you sense it? Is it tight? Is it hot? Is it cold? Is it vibrating? Like what, what are you sensing in their body? So if a responder comes to me with like a high level, high level of um, racing thoughts and like a lot of tension in their body, I can usually uh, pick it up right away. Um, So I generally don't even start with Reiki. I generally start with um, meditation. So I start with sound, sound healing. I have my, my, my singing bowl that I start with. I use rattles. Sometimes I do drumming. Um, so that would go more into the shamanic practices. But I feel uh, sometimes heat. I may feel a lot of cool, like it might be freezing cold. Um, sometimes I feel vibrations, uh, visuals. Um, there's a lot that comes in when I'm doing the Reiki and usually I can, um, you know, let the person know afterwards or sometimes during the Reiki. Um, like if they have a lot of thoughts in their head, I, I'm, you know, I just feel a lot of energy and I, usually when the energy stops flowing through my hands, then I know that that area is cleared and then it's okay for me to go to the next area of the body. And sometimes the person that's, you know, lying on the table says, oh, wow, thank you, right then and there, because they were like, how'd you know to move? And I was like, I just, the energy kind of just stopped flowing. So I just kind of moved on. But I pick it up um, usually 100% of the time I can um, empathically sense or feel um, exactly what they're feeling. And um, I didn't know of that until I started doing Reiki that I, that that gift was um, accessible for me. Um, I learned that, you know, the first time I did Reiki on someone else. Fairfield County Trauma Response Team is a nonprofit alliance of mental health professionals dedicated to helping first responders heal from trauma, tragedy, and stress. We help as they manage community crises and the everyday demands of ensuring public health and safety. Established in 2011, FCTRT was formed in response to a call for emotional help from the Stamford Fire Department after a traumatic fatal fire. Less than a year later, the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting occurred, and members again served the first responder community. Most recently, COVID-19 created a need for our support. We provide free educational presentations, pro bono sessions to deal with community disasters, and an extensive referral service to trauma-informed psychotherapists. If you're a responder in Fairfield County and need help dealing with duty-related stress, please reach out to us so you can continue to do the job you love. Visit our website at fctrt.org or find us on Instagram at Fairfield County TRT.
So when you're doing Reiki, Dina, um, how might someone's energy feel to your hands? Um, do you do you sense a client's emotions as well as like physical energy? Um, do you see or hear anything during a session? Uh, and how do you use that information? Okay, so different things can happen with different clients. Every person is different. But just in general, I might feel in my hands like some heat or tingling in certain areas of their body. Sometimes if there's been a previous, like an old injury that still hasn't completely healed, I might feel like some coolness or some cold to my hands. Um, I might also uh, feel some like just vibration or tingling in certain areas. And I make a note of it, you know, if it's over like a shoulder or it's over their heart or, you know, I just kind of keep track. I try to keep track <laughs> of where I've sensed or felt certain things in certain areas. Now on a more, on a deeper level, and again, it's different with uh, every person, I might start seeing a scene play out in my mind's eye. Okay. So this is getting more into the intuitive, the psychic and the shamanistic aspects of the work that I do. So I might see it, like I said, a scene playing out. Now, I don't know if this is a metaphor or something that actually happened to them. Mm. So I just kind of keep track. I just notice it. I don't speak at all because I really want the clients to be in their own deep state of relaxation. I don't want to interfere with that process. So it's, it, I'm typically not speaking while they're relaxing, receiving their healing session. So I might see things, I might just get a glimpse of something like an animal, uh, or a word might pop into my head, or I might get a message like something like, you know, they, they've dealt with a lot of loss, you know, maybe there was a lot of grief, I might also feel something over their lungs, which in traditional Asian medicine, the lungs are connected with grief. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of just keeping track of all of this. Right. And then at the end, I always ask permission, like, do you want me to share? You know, I ask if they have anything they want to share and how did they feel during the session? And do they want me to share what I experienced? So I always ask permission before I share anything. And honestly, I try to keep it as simple as possible because I also don't want to re-traumatize clients who have been through things. So I just ask, you know, general questions like, you know, if I felt something around their knee, like, have you had, if they didn't share it with me already, have you had right. an injury? Mm -hmm. um, have you had, have you lost loved ones recently? You know, I just kind of make very general questions related to what I've experienced. Now, if I know the person is very open and they've already shared with me that they've done this kind of work before and they have angels that they talk to and they talk to their, you know, grandmother who's passed away. I know I can go a little bit deeper and a little bit further. So I always try to work with wherever people are at. Right. And usually I will share things or I will ask it in the form of a question and let the client sort of guide me as to, you know, what they want me to share. Because honestly, even though that stuff is interesting and it can be cool, um, it's really more important what their experience is with the work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If so, that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so Akila, Dina's talking about how she uses her empathic ability when she's doing a, um, a Reiki session. Can you 
comment on what you sense either physically or with your hands or emotionally when you're working with a client? Um, so my, the empathic, um, gift of mine working with folks, um, with Reiki, uh, sometimes I can like get a little glimpse. I, you know, might just be like a peak. I don't want to be like, I would say it's a sense of voyeurism in, in a sense, but, um, definitely folks want to know. So if they want to know, I can like kind of tell them what I see. And usually it's similar to what they're seeing in their experience. So I'm, they might be seeing certain colors or images or um, patterns and we'll, you know, have a conversation right then and there on the table, or they might ask me, what is this that I am seeing? And I can kind of explain it might, you know, depending on like what area of the body that I'm working in, those colors kind of represent the chakras, those energy centers, like the yogic uh, traditions or philosophy. They kind of resemble a certain color, um, a certain feeling in a sense or a certain. Um, so like heavier energies might feel heavier, sticky, uh, lighter. You might feel a little the 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 client or person on the table might feel lightheaded or um, depending on where I'm working. Um, but generally I can say like uh, they all can feel a sense of the release. How do you sell this uh, uh, energy healing to a potentially skeptical population? For folks who are not familiar with Reiki, understanding the idea or connecting it with the idea of like vibes, right? Do mm -hmm. you feel a certain way around certain people in your life or in your work or in your experience, right? Do certain people make you feel more stressed or maybe on edge more? Do some people make you feel more comforted and at, and at peace? We're tuning into something unseen there. Mm -hmm. We're tuning into energy. So Everything really is energy. We're made of energy. Everything around us is made of energy. So feeling, uh, I mean, I would think with first responders, they have to react on a dime in situations. And that gut instinct is, to me, what you can relate to Reiki, right? It's like that gut response to something. You don't know why you know it. You just do. You don't know why, you know, something's happening or what's going on with someone you just know, right? It's that inner knowing. So Reiki operates on that same level of really kind of an unknown thing. Like we can't really touch it. We can't um, measure it really, but it also has to be experienced. So for folks who are really, you know, skeptical, I would say you should be skeptical because honestly, there are a lot of charlatans out there mm -hmm. and there are a lot of like, cult leaders want to be cult leaders. So you should be skeptical. You should use discernment, check people's credentials, check their experiences, check their testimonials, get pearls. I think that's a really good idea when you're exploring something new, but have an open mind. Like even though you may not have ever experienced something, doesn't mean that it doesn't work. You know, nowadays we're working with Reiki hospitals, 
We actually teach a class at WestCon that's a for credit class in Reiki where students can get certified. So, I mean, this is being incorporated now with treatment for cancer patients. It's much more widely accepted. And again, there's no contraindications. So there's really no harm in trying something, especially if you need help with stress reduction and your own trauma. This can be a wonderful adjunct therapy to try. So, Akila, um, can you add to what Dina was saying about um, talking about energy healing to someone who's new to it? And what can first responders expect from a Reiki healing session? In my experience of working with first responders and providing the, uh, the Reiki healing to them, I've noticed uh, 100% of the time that they tell me they finally ha- found this moment where they their their thoughts are stopping, that they don't feel overwhelmed, that they finally can just like feel like they can take a breath and just be at peace. So I I think it's a deeply um, healing safe space for folks that are going through all those emotions and um, those heavy those more heavier experiences to find a place where they can let go of them. I know it may take some time for them after their shift, you know, to kind of wind down, to come down. But when you're in that Reiki room on the bed, just like when you're getting a massage, I I don't know, every time I've gotten a massage, I've been able to like disconnect and just go within. And it gives you that space where you can disconnect, go within. And I feel like the more and more and more that you do it in the it, how it becomes like a pattern. Um, you're able to enter those spaces, just like when you're on the, the massage table or the Reiki table, you're able to enter them even for a brief second. And you can remember like, you know, this, this moment shall pass. Um, you're able to, you know, instead of like resisting life, you kind of can go with the flow. You know that, you know, there's ebbs and flows and then eventually everything shall pass. And I feel like it gives you that 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 safety like toolkit, that little that little box that you can carry around with you all the time, having that experience. And just I feel like the more and more that you do the Reiki, the more and more you have the understanding that, you know, life kind of ebbs and flows and you do have a space where you can come. You do have a table that you can lay down and you do have nurturing and caring and, and compassionate practitioners that understand and they're willing to help you find that safe space and just cultivate that into your life. So there's a good way to integrate it. Um, there's practices that we can give you to allow yourself to go into that space over and over again. But I think it just takes practice and it is a practice, I would say. First responders, you know, definitely have many benefits of doing um, Reiki. It helps with sleeping, um, anxiety reduction, definitely helps with, um, you know, having an overall sense of peace and just having that mind chatter kind of slow down and stop. Just having a moment where you feel like everything is calmed down and you feel that sense of everything being okay. So, Dina, for our responder listeners, um, as a practitioner, what do you notice working with first responders or people that have a lot of post-traumatic stress? 
Well, for me, you know, working with uh, folks who have been through those really intense experiences, honestly, the first thing is I would want to know and to make sure that they were receiving clinical care as well as working with me, because this work on the spiritual side and on the energetic side can wake things up and also bring things to the surface. So they really need to have both in place, in my opinion. Um, so that being said, and assuming that they do have, you know, the other, the more clinical side of support for uh, PTSD and trauma, um, what I notice is that it can be hard for them to relax and it can be challenging for them to just let go. Um, and like I said, I just work with where people are. So if that's the case, I try to um, share with them more about what I'm going to be doing, you know, make sure they understand, you know, I might be, you know, using my rattle during the session. I don't want to startle them. So someone who's been through a lot of trauma might have a high startle response. So I, I, you know, will say, okay, now I'm going to touch your feet or I'll, I'll ask permission, you know, is it okay if I do hands on? So asking permission, sort of letting them know what the next steps are Mm -hmm. creates more ease. And I think that helps folks who have been through a lot to feel more at peace because if I can't provide a safe container for what I'm doing, it's not going to be very effective. I mean, I can call on the ancestors. I can call on angels. I can work with spirits from the shamanic side, but that's not going to really do a whole lot for the person if they can't relax and be open to the receiving process. So it's really creating the safe container that I think is super, super important because honestly being a more spiritually based practitioner I'm just the intermediary. It's really between them and their guides and angels, my guides and angels. And I'm just kind of like the extension board for that. So I want them to feel safe. That's really my first priority. Thanks, Nina. And Akilah, um, what do you notice when you're working with first responders or people that have a lot of post-traumatic stress? A lot of uh, first responders may experience pain that kind of manifests within the body due to, it may even be due to trauma from their ancestors that has carried over within their DNA or genealogy. Um, but just just from their, their work and the way that they live their life, um, it could be like a limiting belief, like I'm not good enough or, you know, life is hard and that, they just keep repeating that mental pattern or that that experience, you know, on the job experience of, you know, running into the fire and saving a life. Um, it may manifest within like, you know, a particular body part. And the Reiki um, has its own intelligence. It's all healing. And without medication, it will it will release, you know, that the. Um, the manifestation of that limiting belief that may be actually stored in that body part. Maybe the pain is in their heart. Maybe it's grief. It can be in the lungs and that the person might believe, um, you know, like they might never find love in life or that every, you know, person that they connect to kind of disappears and, and passes away. So they might have a lot of heart problems or heart pain or, you know, a lot of grieving from the job and losing a lot of lives. And maybe it's stored in the lungs and, you know, the hands just placed on the body 
during the Reiki practice can kind of allow the body to start to release some of those um, things that we're holding on to and those repetitive um, uh, mind thoughts or experiences just through the Reiki practice. And you can um, watch a Reiki practice um, on YouTube for free, which is actually really healing and relaxing, just like as if you were in the room with the practitioner. Let's um, talk about shamanic healing uh, in a little bit more detail, Dina. I think we have a good grasp of Reiki, but I don't really know how it differs from shamanic healing and what is the history of shamanic healing. Okay, so thank you for asking that question because I think it's a really important one and I do want to touch on the history. So the history of really traditional shamanism comes from, it's really concentrated in one part of the world, in the Evenki tribal region of Siberia. So the title shaman really is taken from the word saman, uh, who is a specific type of medicine person, okay? Their main focus is to interact with the spirit world on behalf of their community. And they're initiated onto this specific path this healing path mm -hmm. by often by their own ancestors. So they might have a lineage of shamans in their ancestry, and then it gets passed on down to the next person, or they exhibit maybe a natural inclination for this work. And another elder in the tribe will take notice of that. And they'll be trained by the elders in that particular tribe. So the idea is without the spirits, there's no shaman. And through the years, anthropologists, of course, have gone to study with medicine people across the globe, and they discovered the shamans in Siberia. And they're also shamanistic healers in other cultures, but they have their own titles and their own languages. So the title shaman kind of got adapted and often gets placed on different traditional medicine people, no matter what their culture and what their traditions are. And that's really um, a mis mistitling of the practices because the shamanistic practices are very specific. The practitioner goes into a trance state, an altered state of consciousness. Meditation is one of those forms, but they will often use a drum uh, to do this. And the drum is actually viewed as a living being, you know, the animal that it was made from. So a deer or a reindeer or a horse, it's really that animal that helps to carry them into the spirit world. So they're in a trance and they go into the spirit world and they engage with the spirits to, to make a spiritual diagnosis. So in our culture, we have doctors who make a medical diagnosis. The shaman would make the spiritual diagnosis for why this person is ill. And it also doesn't mean that that person wouldn't also work with an herbalist or another type of healer. This would really to be just to address the spiritual part. Now, in some cultures, the shaman might also be an herbalist. They might do other types of healing work, like body work. Bone setting is something that, you know, some traditional healers would do. Uh, they don't have orthopedists available <laughs> like we do. <laughs> no, to them, it's a path of great sacrifice and oh. pain because the traditional shaman would also have to often go through an illness or a mental health issue, and it would only be cured by engaging with the spirit world. 
So that's what would differentiate them between other types of healers and other people in their tribe. So that's the history. And I think it's really important to know that. But through initial research and anthropologists discovering these traditional people, um, some of them started to look for ways like how can we work with some of their teaching and some of their wisdom to help contemporary culture? So there were some uh, researchers like Dr. Michael Harner, who studied with many different indigenous medicine people and then created systems like what I call contemporary shamanism that really most people can learn to a certain degree that involves forms of meditation using a drum or a rattle, that percussion to get you into the altered state of consciousness. Then you learn to connect with your own spirit guides, your own guardian angels, and you start to practice and you learn ways to facilitate healing along with your own team of helping spirits. So that's fascinating information from both of you. Uh, I'd like to ask you both this question um, in a practical sense. How can shamanic healing help first responders? So with first responders having to deal with so much trauma in their own uh, professions, so this Shamanic healing can support with the spiritual side of trauma recovery, whether it's for a first responder or anyone else. So what can happen on the spiritual side when we experience trauma is we can disconnect or kind of lose parts of our consciousness, our energy, or our soul, like depending on who's explaining this idea, like things that are really intense experiences, right? Right. It's like, we, you know, we can lose parts of ourselves. It's just too much to take in at the time. Huh. So on the spiritual level, the shamanic practitioner can go and find that part of that person. So, you know, if they were on a scene of an accident, mm-hmm. right, and they saw something really intense that was really kind of beyond uh, their regular everyday experience. Right. Something traumatic, like a child right. death, a suicide something like that. Yeah. And especially if it really kicked in their empathic um, sense of, of being a caretaker in their work, they might stay connected to that person or that situation and not be able to move on. And so there are energetic cords or attachments or part of them is still stuck in that past experience. And the shamanic practitioner can help them sort of get themselves back. It's like all about getting all our energy and all of our awareness back for the present because there's more than enough going on. We need all of ourselves back. I I just have a question on um, if a part of them is lost in the situation because of the intensiveness of the trauma, where does it go? (laughs) So, (laughs) well... A lot of times it stays in that experience. You know, you might call it in psychology disassociation. You know, that's another way of, you know, you might disassociate from that experience and even like not remember everything that happened. So it's almost like part of you stays in that memory, right? So the shamanic practitioner will go and try to find that with aid of, you know, helping spirits such as angels and ancestors you know, where did that part of that person go so we can call them back, you know, and also heal and release whatever residue uh, from that experience so that mm-hmm. they're coming, bringing back purified energy, not, tr- you know, traumatized parts. But it works so hand in hand, I think, 
with the psychotherapy and EMDR. Right. It's really right. a wonderful complement to that. Sort of like a bridge to connect them back to the part of their um, emotional world, part of their cognitive world that they are blocked from in some way. Right. Okay. Right. All right. I can understand that from a trauma therapist perspective. Yeah. All right. That makes sense to me. So I think of a first responder as a healer. Um, they are definitely um, going out there. They're on our, they're, they're the front line going out. I feel like, you know, saving lives every day. And um, they know these basic techniques. I don't know if they would be basic or not, but CPR and um, just everything that they do is, I think, healing. And when I, when I re- when they are in my office and I pick up their energy from their hands, it is that of a healer. It's a lot of energy flowing. Um, I don't know where that energy is coming from, um, but I feel it in almost like uh, like they are part of that soul tribe of healers. Um, I see them as wounded healers, um, as you know, folks going on a healer's journey in a sense and it usually for those for healers um traditionally or you know i guess non-traditional healers um more more or less like the alternative modalities like myself we do go on this hero's journey and it is usually turbulent and we do usually go through an experience of um something really traumatic or chaotic, maybe not for all, but that sense of um, that experience that we, that is almost like an initiation. And then we come to this greater understanding and have that sense of compassion for others. And we continue to do the work and I just see them as sailors um, just like myself. So, Dina Akila is saying that um, she describes first responders as healers or wounded healers. What's your sense of that? So to me, the path of the wounded healer is someone who's been through pain, loss, trauma. They've been through significant events or a significant event, which has wounded them in some ways, right? So they've taken their own experience and then gone on to learn and and practice ways of helping others and maybe mm-hmm. becoming a practitioner or a first responder because of what they've been through. Mm. So it's like their own pain teaches them or informs them or guides them or supports them to then want to move on to help others. That's my perspective on that. It's actually beautiful, you know, that to be wounded and then to want to, you know, help others uh, overcome their own pain or loneliness or overwhelm. So I find that to be a trait of uh, many first responders and veterans. So, Like many healers, healers mm-hmm. oftentimes come from a, uh, suffering, either illness mm-hmm. or emotional suffering themselves, and then they, um, they heal and then they go on to heal others. So you're saying it's very similar for first responders. They probably come from some history of pain of some kind and then they feel compelled to reach out and help others 
I feel, I feel like first responders come through, you know, uh, before they even start as a first responder, they may have had a, you know, may not even have known that their life could have been hard or traumatic. But I feel like in life, we, like the law of attraction, we kind of are attracted to that same energy that is within us. And then once you're in that energy, you notice that it is the same as you. So the first responders may have had, you know, who knows, um, but maybe some heavier energies going on within their life or childhood. And through that pain or suffering or even it could have been like a, a disease or something life changing and they overcame, they felt that sense of resiliency. Um, they, they felt healed and then they therefore wanted to, you know, bestow that healing onto others or teach others or help the world in a sense. And that's just how I'm seeing it. So Dina, um, are there things or is there one thing you can suggest for first responders that they can do at work um, that would help them to deal with stress? So, yes. So one of the things that I think could be really helpful because you can do it in the moment is just focusing on your breathing, right? When we're stressed out, oftentimes we're just breathing from our upper chest. So just tuning in for a minute, see if you can slow your breathing down. I usually put a hand over my belly because I know if I'm breathing down into my belly, I'm taking some deep breaths and just be counting your breaths or just noticing the quality of the air coming in and out of your nose, mm -hmm. right? So that brings you into the present moment in your body. So that's to me is very important. I want to share another one because it really connects with uh, our discussion about shamanic healing and traditional forms of healing. So the foundation of shamanic healing connects with nature and that everything in nature, whether it's the stars that we see in the sky to the trees and the plants and the animals is alive and also contains spirit or the energy of the creator. So everything is sacred. Mm -hmm. So if they can take a minute and go outside and just appreciate, oh, look it, there are some flowers blooming in the flower bed outside my office. Oh, look, mm -hmm. the sun's out today. It's nice and warm. Mm -hmm. How nice. You know, so that gratitude and that appreciation for nature, that can also be like a little exercise to do to kind of shift out of stress mode. Help people disconnect from the stress that they just experienced, kind of commune or connect with nature and re-equilibrate yourself. Okay. Akila, um, what are some simple things you recommend that people can do uh, as first responders to deal with stress? The first responders, they can, you know, have a lot of takeaways, like a, a lot of tools that they can assess um, from the yoga, from the Reiki. Uh, a lot of it is meditation, just like simple um, breaks throughout the day. Um, they might have, you know, like headspace or certain apps that are even free um, that can also kind of help to to keep the energy flowing or to allow them to go into that same space as they were when they were in the, in the, the Reiki. Some folks like to do the smudging or 
the use of using like um, uh, Palo Santo or even sage to burn. Um, there's some small rituals they might use like with fire, they can write an intention of something they want to release and they can kind of burn it in the fire, let it go into the wind, into the earth, into the water. Um, there's many practices or just even just using sound sometimes can help a person feel grounded and come back into the body um, like a singing bowl or, you know, like a rattle might be nice or bells. Um, using crystals, you can put a pop a crystal in your pocket and that can give you that sense of, um, you know, like when you are in the, the Reiki room with me, I use a lot of crystals. Sometimes I just give them to the responders. They might gravitate to, to certain color crystals. These tools are really easy to find on YouTube. I'll just tell someone, you know, go on YouTube. You can listen to the Native, Native American um, or Tibetan flutes. Um, you might be able to listen to the drumming, um, the Native American drumming. There's also meditations. They can be even like three to five minutes on YouTube. You know, and these the, YouTube is all free, so you're not paying for anything. I think this is a good time um, to let people know that uh, Responder Wellness Inc. will pay for any first responder or veteran uh, if they want a first session with either Akila or with Dina. Um, you just get in touch with Akila or Dina and tell them that you're a first responder uh, or a veteran. And then um, my charity, Responder Wellness Inc., will pay for that first session for you because, you know, it, it's it's a great way and it's no risk, you know, and no financial risk. It's a great way to try out um, you know, alternative healing modalities, energy healing modalities, because they are very effective. Well, Dina, Akila, we want to thank you for being our guests on Respond to Resilience. But thank you so much for being here and sharing what you do out there in the world and especially what you offer for first responders uh, to help them deal with stress and trauma. We want to remind everybody to like and subscribe on YouTube, Respond to Resilience channel, Facebook, Respond to Wellness Inc. We're on bbsradio.com, Apple Podcasts, and our website is respondertv.com. Till the next time, stay safe and be kind to yourself. Take care.